0: We are uh, continuing onwards this morning in uh, our sermon series on the book of Jeremiah, entitled, Finding God in the Wilderness. Um, And last week we did a a bit, if you'll remember, last week we did a bit of an overview of the book of Jeremiah, of the the historical context in which Jeremiah would have been writing, so that we could understand a little bit better as we go through the book where he's coming from and what sort of, where were some of the emotions and some of the thoughts and prophecies are coming from. Um, And then we also touched on the significance or the purpose of wilderness seasons in the Christian life. So it was very much an introductory sermon to what we're going to be exploring throughout this fall. Because the reality is, as I mentioned last week, the reality is that much of the Christian life is walked out in some form of wilderness, be those small wilderness seasons or large wilderness seasons. Jeremiah was tasked with obeying God, listening for God, and speaking God's words to a people who didn't want to listen in a chaotic season of Israel and Judah's life, existence, when war was on their doorstep. And for a purpose and with a message that people just didn't want to listen to. That would make them actually quite mad. Like, let's be real. Nobody wants to be told that bad things are going to happen to them because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Nobody wants to hear that message. This was part of the problem, because not only did Jeremiah have to speak these ominous words to a people that didn't want to listen, but alongside of him were also, and this was always the case in ancient Israel, there were these other prophets prophesying only happy things to the people of Judah because that's what the people wanted to hear. That's what made them popular, which would have been very distressing for, for Jeremiah, having to speak these words, and yet at the same time you have these other prof- prophets prophesying only happy things and completely counteracting your message. I mean, imagine, imagine this. You're, you're standing on a street corner at a busy intersection. You know, there's cars coming by all the time. And suddenly, this this young family starts walking across into the middle of the road. And you're yelling at them, come back! No, 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 the the red sign is still flashing. You know, the the little red hand, it's still flashing. Come back! You know, what? it's not not good for you. Turn around and come back to safety. You're just yelling at them because you know that there's oncoming traffic coming. But then all of a sudden, next to you, come these loudmouth fools Also, yelling at this family, drowning at your voice, and telling them, don't worry about it. Keep going. It's not a big deal. You'll make it to the other side, no problem. Live your life. Do what you want to do. Feel free. But you know, you know that there's danger coming. You know it. You can see it, and there's nothing you can do because they're not listening and the other people around you are completely drowning you out. And the more that they yell, the more insecure you feel. How horribly distressing that would be. And how quickly you would be prone to doubt that you actually know better. I remember a number of years ago reading an article about the sinking of the Titanic. the writer was explaining how message after message, warning sign after warning sign, had come to the crew on the ship to warn them about all the icebergs that were in their pathway and tell them to slow down. But, because they had the agenda of getting to New York the fastest speed that they possibly could, in record time, they held their course. Because that's what people's expectations were. They had to fulfill people's expectations. I mean, it was in the papers. Not even God could sink this ship. And then look at what happened. All because they wanted to keep up appearances. All because what other people thought was more important. Why? Why is it so hard for us to set aside the need for keeping up appearances and actually listen for a better way? A way that maybe isn't so flashy or impressive. A way that actually isn't about pleasing or fulfilling other people's expectations. Every single one of us here will at some point receive a call from God to walk a path that's uncomfortable. That's daunting. That makes you nervous. Maybe even terrified. To walk a path that hurts a little. And more often than not, as with the case of Jeremiah, it isn't so much often our own insecurities that keep us from listening. It's the fear of others. It's the fear of what others will think, what they'll do, how they'll respond. The question isn't so much about whether or not we'll hear the call from God. The question is whether or not we'll listen, whether or not we'll actually receive it and do something with it this morning, we're going to be looking at the call of Jeremiah. The call of Jeremiah into a prophetic life in the wilderness, a call that, as we talked about last week, is something that we all will, at varying times, receive and experience. So what were Jeremiah's hurdles? What kept him from actually living into it and thinking that he could actually do it? What reminders did the Lord give him that convinced him otherwise, and how might those reminders help us today? That's what we're looking at. Okay, so We're going to read parts of Jeremiah chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 4 through 19. Starting at verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declared the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Okay. We're gonna spend a little bit of time here dissecting Jeremiah's call, which was, of course, a very specific kind of call, right? We don't need to right away assume that we're gonna get the exact same call as Jeremiah. That's not gonna happen. But we're gonna spend some time dissecting his call, and then we'll, we'll pull out a couple key things that we can glean for ourselves and how we then listen to receiving calls from God, okay? How does Jeremiah's calling happen? First, with an affirmation from God that he holds complete authority, over Jeremiah's life. Look at verse five. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Before you were born, I knew you. I saw you. You were my idea. And do you think that God would only say these words to Jeremiah? No. No. He could say these same words to each and every one of us this morning. Before you were born, I formed you. I knew you. I called you out for a specific purpose. You were my idea. You were my idea. Before the world was created, I had you in mind. Long before Jeremiah ever started asking questions about who God was, or what kind of God this God was, or or searching for answers about God, God knew him. God knew him. We think our lives are spent trying to figure out who God is, but actually the reality is most of our lives are spent trying to embrace the reality that he knows us. He knows us. As Eugene Peterson put it, we are known before we know We are known before we know. Now, to be set apart in Scripture meant to be consecrated for something. So often this was a language that was used for kings, priests, prophets. But actually initially, the very beginning, it was used for Israel. Because the people of Israel were called to be a holy nation. A kingdom of priests set apart for God's special purposes which meant for us and which means for us today that as the new Israel in Christ, we are now that priesthood. We are that holy nation. We've been given that identity and calling that Israel didn't fulfill, but Christ did and then gave to us. Some of you are familiar with that term. Uh, It's a reform term, predestination. It's a theological term. And this for me is the best way to think about that term. We've been predestined for this task. We've been called to this task. We've been elected to carry on the work of Christ and to be his priests for the life of the world. Look at all the beautiful theological implications that can come just from this one verse. Thank you, Jeremiah, for providing that for us. But look at how Jeremiah responds. Wait, wait, hold on. Alas, he says, nah, Mm, I don't think so. Do you guys ever watch that show, Home Improvement? Who watched, yeah? Yeah, do you remember? Okay, the show Home Improvement back in the day, Tim Allen. And uh, uh, Tim, uh, his name was Tim on the show as well. He had kind of like a a home improvement show on the show. Um, He was the host of it. It was kind of like a home hardware, do-it-yourself sort of show. And um, he would always come up with these crazy ideas, and his co-host, Al... Every single time would say to him, mm, I don't think so, Tim. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> I kid you not, that's what came into mind when I read this text in Jeremiah. Mm, I don't think so, God. This isn't a good idea. Alas, mm-mm, nope, this is not going to end well. And then he gives the Lord two reasons, not just one, but two reasons why this is a bad idea. One, I don't know how to speak. That's not a good idea. Don't make me a prophet. I don't know how to speak in front of people. And two, I'm too young. I'm too young. Those are fair reasons. I mean, there's a good chance, based on some of when this text was happening and when it was written, there's a good chance that, that Jeremiah might have only been a, like a late teenager. He might have only been you know, 18, 19, maybe 20 years old. He was inexperienced. His resume was pretty well non-existent. I mean, nobody creates a, a profit resume, but really. He didn't have any experience, and he didn't like public speaking. None of this equates to a good scenario. But wait, who else in Scripture had the same excuse? Say it a little louder. Moses! Moses did, and what did God say to Moses! Exodus 4, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, go. Go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now, notice here, this is a beautiful speech from the Lord. <laughs> notice here, though, that he doesn't do that with Jeremiah. Jeremiah. He doesn't push back on what Jeremiah said, as if he did with Moses, almost as if to say to Jeremiah, you should know this. Who made mouths? Who is able to put words in your mouth? You should know by now, Jeremiah, that I specialize in helping people who don't know how to speak, speak. This is what I do. Feeling inadequate, in other words is almost a prerequisite for obeying God's call. Feeling inadequate and actually knowing that you have to wait on God's words in order to say something for him is a prerequisite for being prophetic. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 12. Yes, you guys are going to face opposition, but don't worry about how you'll respond to it and don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the moment when you need him when you need them. This is what God does. This is what he does. Again, the question isn't so much about whether we'll hear him calling to us. The question is whether or not we'll listen. Whether or not we'll actually receive it and not be afraid. So, because of that, God right away skips ahead to Jeremiah's second reason, probably the one he's a bit more insecure about, which is this one. Do not say, I am too young. I'm too, I'm too young, God. No, 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 don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Leave it to Scripture to remind us over and over again of our human tendency to make excuses. Right? Even Jeremiah, one of the great prophets in Scripture, tried to run away from God. Tried to pull out of it. Tried to find a way to make it not so that it wasn't going to be Him. But thank God that he inspired this regular, very regular, young, broken, emotional, average Joe human being to write down these words for us so that they can still speak to us today. Jeremiah's sensitive youthfulness and quiet nature wasn't an accident. This passage proves to us that his youthfulness and the exact moment that God called him at was not some cruel accident He was handmade for this task. And it's not like Jeremiah doesn't love God with all of of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's not that he doesn't want to obey God or isn't honored that God's given him this task. And frankly, it's not even really because Jeremiah is insecure about how young he is or his inability to speak. Why is Jeremiah so scared? What's really holding him back? Verse 8 without Jeremiah actually saying it for himself, God actually identifies it for him. He addresses Jeremiah's actual problem. Verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. Oh. Wait, afraid of what? Of them. Do not be afraid of the people that I'm asking you to speak to. They are what's actually keeping you from obeying your call. Ugh! People! People! How much easier it would be to just listen for God's voice and obey God's voice and walk out the way that we're supposed to if it wasn't for people, other people, How many of us have refrained from pursuing or obeying God's voice or a task that we perhaps feel we should do or a person we should talk to, but didn't because we were afraid of them? We were afraid of what they would say, what they would think, whether or not maybe we'd be a burden rather than a blessing. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe it'll be a little bit embarrassing see, more often than not, it's not the task that scares us, but the the person or the people, how they'll react, how they'll respond, what they'll say. Jeremiah here is strictly forbidden to be a people pleaser. I formed you, says the Lord. I made you, which is why he then says, don't be afraid of them, I am with you. Don't be afraid of them. I am with you. In other words, fear me before you fear them. They can't do anything to you. They're just people like you. I'm the one that formed you, who knew you, who created you, who had the idea of you in mind before you were born. I made you. And then because of his loving and fatherly nature, the Lord offers Jeremiah three different assurances that this is in fact something he's calling him to do. He gives him a couple images, the almond branch and the, and the pot boiling over, um, whether or not Jeremiah actually sees them in front of him or he's looking at these things in real life and then God gives him you know, a meaning for them we don't know. But he gives them these two ordinary things and then affirms this sense of calling also by giving him A prophetic word. So all of this is working together as kind of like a holy pep talk, right? God knows how to to sort of boost our insecurities and give us words of assurance. All in an attempt to summon Jeremiah to be courageous and not be afraid of the people. Verse 17, do not be afraid of them. And he actually says here at the end of this passage, he reiterates, don't be terrified by them. Don't be terrified by them. So you can imagine Jeremiah must just be like rattling in his boots. This guy's terrified. He doesn't want to do this. And that's because based on God's words here, Jeremiah's primary task is going to be standing in front of the leaders of Jerusalem. I mean, imagine God giving you the task to walk into parliament and start explaining, you know, God's prophecies to them. That's terrifying. Nobody would want to do that. Even the Lord admits to Jeremiah that these guys are going to fight against him but they won't overcome. Verse 19, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you. How many of us need to hear today that our obstacles, our burdens, our current wilderness will not overcome us? It won't overwhelm us. Has God called you into the wilderness? Is God drawing you, perhaps, into the wilderness? And what prophetic task might he be giving you that you're too afraid to fulfill? What current wilderness might he be calling you into but you're unsure about because you're afraid? It might be like Jeremiah A call to speak out of your wilderness suffering. To not be afraid of what others will think. Maybe it's to comfort others as you have received comfort and to be brave in offering that comfort. Like Mother Teresa, we talked about her last week. To to be able to rest in your own darkness so that you can actually bring light into someone else's darkness. Maybe it's a call to a courageous communication of Jesus Christ to someone who needs it whether or not they know him or not. Maybe it's a call to pull back from the crazy rat race of your life and rest in a sort of unknowable wilderness so that you can find God again, so that he can catch up to you. Maybe rediscover what looking at God's speed looks like. Maybe it's a call to retirement, to something new. To something unknown, to something different, to something perhaps outside of your comfort zone. Whatever it might be, whatever it might look like, whether it's small or big, what's most important here is catching God's character in all of this. He sees Jeremiah, he sees Jeremiah. He sees what Jeremiah is feeling. He sees the knot in Jeremiah's stomach. He sees the tightness in his chest. He sees the way that Jeremiah's throat closes up just thinking about speaking. He sees the tension headache forming at the back of his head. He sees the dread on his face. He sees the, you know, the no, there's no way I can do this ache in his heart. He sees all of that. He sees it all and he says to Jeremiah, I am with you. I'm with you. You're not doing this alone. I'm with you. In other words, it's a wilderness out there, Jeremiah. I know. And it's a wilderness in your own heart. I can feel it. I can see it. But I'm here. I'm with you. Things are going to get rough, but don't be swayed by that. Always, always remember... I'm doing this. It's me. Did you do that too? (laughs) Always, always he says remember, that I'm doing this. And I wouldn't ask this of you, if it wasn't for a larger purpose. Chris Wright says this, God's perspective is always bigger than the immediate moment. And it's so hard for us in our circumstances to not end up being tunnel visioned. It's so hard. And in some ways, that's actually a good thing. When things happen in our lives, we we become very tunnel visioned because that's all that matters in that moment. And that's fine. All these other things in life become periphery because God's calling us actually to focus on this moment. But he's calling us to see him in it. Because if we don't see him in it, we won't see this thing as a part of his bigger purposes. God has a mission even for us in the wilderness. He's got a mission still to reach the world with love, to reach it with grace, to reach it with mercy, and to heal all that is broken and that is only prone to further brokenness. See, because we exist in a world that is broken and is only prone to further brokenness, it only makes sense that God's gonna call us to do things, task us with entering into that messiness as his hands and his feet. It's gonna be daunting. That's a given. What's needed then is a courageous spirit, A willing spirit, maybe not even courageous, because Jeremiah wasn't very courageous, but he was willing. He was willing. A willing spirit inspired by our own wilderness wanderings where we find God in the silence and in the hardships of our own fragility and are reminded of who we are. These are some really important words that I'm going to say right now as we close this message. So don't be thrown off by this. Can you hear that? Don't be thrown off by it. Think of it as the Holy Spirit. We are known before we know. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And in a day and an age where so many want, and we are always constantly feeling pressured to create our own identity, thinking of a life, thinking that life begins when I understand myself, as if that's what's most important, Jeremiah shows us that in God's kingdom, we are given an identity. We are given our identity, which is far less pressure actually. We receive our identity. There was something already decided about me before I began to think about myself. Something was already decided for me. And that's what God thinks of me. We receive our identity from He who formed us. And He has set us up, set us apart to be a kingdom of priests and prophets tasked with taking his message of grace and love to a world desperately in need of hope. Folks, I'm not sure we realize this, but most people don't know this God. Most people don't know this God. They think they know him or, or of him because they know of the church. And they know of the occasional Christ follower. And they've seen so-called Christian leaders on the TV and on social media. But they don't know him. They don't know him. Most people you encounter on the streets or in a Starbucks or in a Target. well Target doesn't exist here anymore. Or in a Costco. Don't really actually know him. But they are known by him. And that's the message that we've been tasked to give them. Our task is to help them see that. Jeremiah's task was essentially that, to help Jerusalem to remember that their God who formed them and who created them and who knows them was desperately trying to call them back to himself, to asking them to do a U-turn, to come back to safety, to where he could be with them and rescue them. He was constantly calling them back to himself. 1 Timothy 2 tells us that God's desire is that all would be saved. That's his heart. In other words, all to be saved. In other words, that all would know him. His desire is that all would know him. And when we seek his face, when we seek to know him in our wilderness surroundings, in our wilderness context... We see more clearly that although our situations, like in verse 10, might need to be uprooted and torn down, they might need to be perhaps destroyed and overthrown, there is always a plan to rebuild and to replant. Always. Sometimes things have to be uprooted in order for new growth to happen. Beautiful gardens take a lot of work, pruning, cutting back. Pulling up, replanting are all necessary things. He who formed us and who knows us is also the one who cultivates our circumstances as only a good gardener would. And he does it in such a way that not a hair can fall from our heads without his nail-scarred hands allowing it. Whatever wilderness season we are called into, be that big or small, whatever wilderness season you are currently experiencing in, be that small or large, know this. He calls us to not be afraid. Do not be terrified. I am with you, says the Lord, and I will rescue you. Let's pray. Living God, we just want to take a couple moments here, Lord, to pause, to rest in whatever our wilderness might be, whatever insecurities we feel, whatever fears we have, whatever hurdles there are, Lord, to receiving your call in our lives. We rest here in our situations with you, knowing that here you are with us. You are assuring us over and over again that you are with us. Thank you, Father, for being a loving creator, one who always reminds us of the sovereignty you hold over our lives. May we submit all of our fears and our inadequacies to you and look ahead with hope to the rebuilding and the replanting that we know and we trust will happen. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.